chapter 2. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's going to be on page 222, right in the front there. The book of Ruth, one of the central characters, a lady named Ruth, hence the name. The other one is a man named Boaz. Sometimes I think in our memory of this, of this story, which I think most of us, if you've been in church for a while, know the basic parts of the story. But I think sometimes we are at danger of over-romanticizing the book of Ruth. It is very much a story that ends in a marriage and of a couple coming together in love. But I think when we remember the end of the story, I think sometimes we're tempted to turn Ruth and Boaz both into models who just happen to get to know each other and catch each other and lock eyes across a field. Now, they could have both been very, very good-looking people. I have no idea. But what's interesting is the description of them has nothing to do with how they looked. And in fact, the closest thing to that is Boaz, in part of the story, we get the feeling he might be a bit older than Ruth. But what does get highlighted and emphasized is their godly character. And so the book of Ruth is the story of two people living godly lives. This is highlighted from the fact that at the beginning of the story, we learn that this happened during the time of the judges, which was a dark time for God's people. It was a time where everyone did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king in Israel. And when you read the end of Judges, you see the spiral of sin and ungodliness to where you can't know the difference between a follower of God and a pagan. And so, one of the themes of Ruth is how do we live godly lives when we're surrounded by ungodliness? Now, one aspect of this that we're going to look at today is the generosity of Boaz and the godliness of generosity and how the more and more I follow Jesus, the more and more I am convinced that those who love Jesus, those who have followed faithfully for years, are generous people. And that generosity is essential to godliness. And so today I want to look at the book of Ruth and I want to look at the book of Leviticus to show us a pattern that we are called to live a pattern that takes seriously the commands of God, but then obeys God's commands with generosity. And so our big idea, if you're following along in the outline provided in your bulletin, is this. God calls us to be generous in obeying his commands. So let me read to you from Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And this sets the scene for where we're going to look this morning. Now Naomi had a relative of her 
was a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, if you remember the story, Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law. And both of them lost their husbands when Naomi's family was living in Moab. And Ruth stays faithful to her mother-in-law and comes into a foreign land. She is an immigrant to Israel. But both of them, as women and in an agrarian society, would not have any real substantial way to provide for themselves. And so Ruth takes the initiative and says, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. What does it mean to glean? This was a normal practice of the time. And what it was is you would follow the people who were harvesting the grain or or the olives or the grapes, and you would pick up what they dropped. That's what gleaning was. Well, what I think is very interesting is that God gave commands to those who did own land about this practice. If you want to, you can flip over to Leviticus 19 with me. If not, you can read it on the slide. Many where God talks about, talks to farmers, and this is one of them in Leviticus 19. When you reap your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. So God built into his laws, the laws for his people, that they were to provide for the poor and the immigrant by, first of all, not not making sure they harvested every bit of their land. So if you look, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field. So don't worry about the stuff that's on the end. And also, don't gather the gleanings of your harvest. Don't go back and pick up what you dropped. Why? Leave them for the poor and the alien, the immigrant. I am the Lord, your God. There's a certain solemnity there of God proclaiming who he is (laughs) that lets us know we need... (laughs) that we need to pay attention to what he said. There's a certain seriousness to where he says, I am the Lord your God. And so what we see here is what God commanded. But I want you to keep that in mind because now I want to show you what Boaz did in obedience to that law. So let's go back to Ruth chapter 2. So in the first seven verses, Ruth goes out into the field and gleans in the field of Boaz. 
In verse 8, Boaz speaks to Ruth. He says this, Now listen, my daughter. That's a way to talk to a woman younger than you. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Now again, when we read the law, it said, look, don't, don't harvest the edges of your field and don't pick up the gleanings. What I want you to see, to begin to see here, is Boaz is generous in his obedience of God's word and does more than what he was required to do. So first of all, he tells Ruth, stay in my field. He invites her into his field. He invites her to stay close to his female servants, assumedly so that she can get as much grain as she can. And he has already proactively yelled at the young men to leave her alone. (laughs) Boaz is not only an honorable man, he's a pretty smart guy. (laughs) And again, on top of that, he gives her permission to take a water break from the water that was reserved for the servants. Now I want to say in verse 11... I just want to point this out really quickly. Boaz gives his reason for this. Why is he kind when he doesn't need to be? But in verse 11, he says this, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. I want you to see in that the generosity again in that he is not looking to get anything from her. He is being generous because she was generous to Naomi and Naomi's family. Again, going above and beyond. Now this continues again in verses 14 and 16. Follow along as I read. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, so Boaz, Boaz has invited her to eat with him and the servants. Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some leftovers. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also Pull out some of the bundles from her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. I want you to understand all that Boaz is doing for Ruth. First of all, he invites her to eat the food that was meant for his servants. And she is able to eat until she was satisfied, whatever that means. And she even had some leftovers. Again, you see him doing more than what he was required to do. And then, in verse 15, he tells his servants, let her glean even among the sheaves. That's the collected grain. So you'd, you'd collect the grain and then you'd wrap it up 
that's a sheaf, plural sheaves. It is a little tough to say. But again, the law said you have to let them pick up what was dropped. Here, Boaz says about Ruth, guys, let her take what we've actually collected. <laughs> let her rip it out of the bundle. And do not reproach her. And then on top of that, if that weren't enough, I love verse 16, and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. I don't know if, they, if he meant they should make it look like an accident, like, oh, I dropped this whole sheaf of barley. Oh, oh I tripped, clumsy me. Um, I don't know. I don't know about subtlety back then. Um, but as you read chapter 2 and as you have Leviticus in the back of your mind, it's almost overkill how generous Boaz is. And one of the things the book of Ruth tells us is that what Boaz does here is exactly what God wants all of his people to do. To take seriously his word and to take it so seriously that we don't just obey the letter of the law, but we obey with generosity. Today, as we hear from Rachel and her work with Global Fingerprints, I want you to hear that we're to be obedient with generosity. Let me give you two verses that I think will more directly apply to what Rachel's going to be talking about. First one is 1 John 3, verses 17 and 18. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. James 1, 27. This will probably be familiar to many of you. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. God's word is pretty clear from Leviticus to John, James to 1 John. Those who have must help those who do not have. And Boaz is telling us that when we do that, we are to do so with generosity. And that is pleasing to God. And so I want to invite Rachel up here to, to one way that God is using the generosity of his people to serve people across the world, and especially children. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you very much, Jim. Um, that's perfect. <laughs> Um, this has been such a joy this weekend to fellowship with you. Uh, there is a warmth and generosity already that just sparkles. And I, I just so deeply appreciate that. Um, this morning, um, I need to turn on my phone here. Let me see. Oh, yeah. I can, I can open it if I just stick my thumb on it. How many of you have phones like that? Isn't that cool? Just, wow. And it opens up. Why do you think that technology now is using our thumbprints instead of numbers. 
Anybody? This is interactive now, interactive sermon. We're unique. That's me. Nobody else can put their thumb there and open my phone. That's a mark of who I am. That's my mark. So you hear the word global fingerprints, and you wonder, oh, is that, a, is that kind of a, a ministry where they fingerprint kids, you know, so they don't get stolen or something? We've had those kind of questions. But I'd like to open by just simply saying to you uh, what our mission statement and our vision is, and then maybe you'll catch a clue what that fingerprint means. You see, it is our mission, our ministry mission, to transform the most vulnerable children in the world with the fingerprint of Christ. And the tool to do that is this organization that is an Evangelical Free Church of America child sponsorship program directly linked with our Reach Global missionaries and our national partners. It's us. It's who we are. And we want to help in that transformation process in the lives of children throughout the world. Our ministry vision is to meet their spiritual, nutritional, educational, medical, and other needs that these kids have through partnership with the local church. What do I mean by local church? I mean you. I mean free churches here in the United States, the local church in the US. And I mean your brothers and sisters in each of the 10 countries where we happen to have Global Fingerprints sites right now. That would be in Africa, Congo, Liberia, and Zambia. In Central Latin America, Caribbean area, we have Panama and Haiti. In the Middle East, we have Lebanon, where the Christians are serving the Syrian refugees, and their kids are in the program. And then there's Asia. And Lisa, you know, I've been overwhelmed with, how in the world do I present all this fantastic stuff? But after you shared Asia, I thought, I'm simply going to focus on Asia. Because this church, I looked at who you support. You are heavily invested in some of the most difficult places to reach in Southeast Asia and in, in Asia. So I'm going to be talking about those. But it's through the local believers in India, Myanmar, Indonesia, and Philippines. In Congo and Liberia, Zambia, some of the, and Haiti, Philippines, those programs are directly linked to the existing, firmly planted, largely growing African or uh, Central um, Latin America churches. They are already serving the kids. They have schools in Liberia that are connected to the churches. In all of these sites in Asia, they are what we call creative access countries. They are countries where, um, yes, there are churches, but they aren't reaching the unreached. They aren't reaching Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims. They aren't reaching tribal people. They're simply re replicating themselves and stealing from each other's sheep pen. But 
In these countries, there are believers. They are sent by churches, but some of them have to actually go out on their own because their church refuses to send them. But they are Indonesian believers, Christians, Filipinos, Indian, Burmese. They are going to the people in their communities who have not heard of the word of Christ, and they are planting churches there. So Global Fingerprints partners with the local church and church planting organizations throughout Southeast Asia, as well as the rest of the world. This morning I'd like to just share a little tidbit from each of those countries in order to help you understand a little bit more how Global Fingerprints works and how you can be involved. But before I say that, I want to say that another symbol that Global Fingerprint stands for is what you yourself can do. I look at Global Fingerprints, and I may be prejudiced on this, I probably am, but of all of the things that we do in our mission, this is one that has the potential of allowing every single person who is sitting here every single person, no matter what age, to be directly involved themselves in global outreach. Whether you are a child in the nursery, or a grandma, or a great-grandma and grandpa, who maybe are even disabled at this point, you can have a powerful, significant impact globally simply by sponsoring a child. And I hope my stories help to, to open that up. What I, I do feel like when, when a church gets engaged in global fingerprints and their people get engaged in special countries that their church is focusing on through global fingerprints, I feel like the, the, the missionaries and the ministries that you support become, move from being a line item in the budget to your own personal mission. And when you hear about Indonesia, you perk up, I've got a kid in Indonesia, or the Philippines, or India. So in that framework, I'd like to just share a couple things. In September, we had what's called our Global Fingerprint Summit, and that means we brought all of our site coordinators, all REACH Global missionaries, supported by churches like yourself, together in Minneapolis, and we had a week of meetings, and the highlight was uh, sharing from the field every day. We had several share what's happening, what's happening in Congo, what's happening in Panama, what's happening in the Middle East. They were fantastic stories. When Kathy Ostwald shared about India, she shared with us that the kids who are being sponsored in India, who live in the slums of Calcutta, who live on garbage dumps, whose parents, if they even know who their parents are, earn less than a dollar a day, if they can even get that. These kids come to their feeding center and they're, um, they get tutored at, at their centers. But this year, they were able to, through the partnership of one of their uh, supporting churches, above and beyond the Global Fingerprint sponsorship money, they were able to have funds to take up, I think it was about 70 to 100 kids to a camp outside the city that was 
refreshing and open, like going to camp. You know how wonderful that is. Can you imagine if you never, never, ever got out of the city and the slum and the garbage dump, what that would do to your soul? Yeah, it was over 100 because 70 kids became believers that week at camp. And they are being followed up individually now. Every one of those sponsored children has somebody back here in the United States praying for them and for that work. And has somebody in India who's a, what we call care worker or supervisor who's seeing, looking after that child. Do you think a sponsorship is significant? And then we just, Cal Hebert, who's a retired free church pastor from the Midwest, he and his wife just retired, and the Lord said, not so fast. He is now our site coordinator for the work in Myanmar, and he just got back from a two-week trip. I have to just tell you uh, a couple things, once I put my fingerprint on my phone again, just a couple of sites that the supervisors were reporting back, because we were wondering, are we giving these church planters in Myanmar, are we giving them a lot of extra work because they have to do these reports on the kids and they have to follow up and do home visits. Listen to this. Cherry, where uh, in her area there are six sponsored children. She said, when we have the children, we have the entire family because these home visits uh, are where we are shown great love by the parents because we're loving the kids. Also, we have been praying for, for approval from the parents to allow 11 children to be baptized. Five so far have given approval. Now, there's only six kids sponsored in that site at this point, but you're, you're hearing 11? They're working with lots of children there, and so we're working to get those kids sponsored. But already, these children have come to know Jesus through Bible clubs in their community. These are Buddhist families. Grace, there are 14 sponsored kids in her area. And she said children who were hungry were not interested in going to school, but since Global Fingerprints has been providing some food, they are eager to learn. Parents have been blessed, and we hear testimonies from parents about good behavior of their children. The family of one of the sponsored children had been evicted due to not having rent money and having no place to go, and having no place to go. Global Fingerprints paid for three months of rent, and now the entire villages accepts the supervisors, also known as church planters. Global Fingerprints has now provided backpacks, and the kids are so excited about going to school. Is that significant? And then Ramtia um, is supervising over a very poor village, and in the past, when difficulties came, children would stop going to school. So if the family was having trouble, they needed to send the child out to, send, to sell stuff on the street. Not a very safe thing to do. Also, the village had many health issues and no money to take the children to the clinic. With Global Fingerprints, children continue to go to school and can now go to the clinic for help. There is money for tuition, and the children's education is making a difference. Global Fingerprints now provides greater access to the community as parents are trusting the supervisors. A trust relationship builds up. The villagers are curious as to why the supervisors care for the children, and they are more open to accept them because they care. Through Global Fingerprints, 
six adults were baptized last month. Do you think it's significant? Fingerprints of Christ put on one child affects the family, affects the community. I'm the, I'm the site coordinator for Indonesia where Tony and Lori live and um, where the Schultzes live. And I get to see them in about a week and a half when I go visit and work with our staff there. But this is the same kind of stories we are hearing from Indonesia. And it's a slower work in Indonesia because it's amongst Muslims and the work is always slow amongst Muslims. But we are having communities, families who are softened to the gospel, accepting our church planters there on a regular basis and um, really know that they are Christians and hearing the stories, the parents hear the stories and hear the testimony that the church planters have when they do the home visits and the kids here also. Then there's the Philippines. You're very already closely connected to the Philippines through, the, through uh, Vance and Carol. I'd like to show you a little video that was just produced when we were over there this summer, late July, to open up the Philippines field. And this is the exact this footage is taken right in the village, which is a slum area of Manila that's 100% Muslim. They said, you Muslims go live over there. And I just want you to listen a little bit here. 